listening to Village Talks. All right, welcome to the Village Church Podcast Show. Good to have you. My name is Mark, and I am the host of this show. And today with me, I have Pastor Cliff Ursel and Pastor Eric Damewood. And uh, once in a while, we like to get out the mailbag and uh, and answer questions that people. <laughs> <laughs> that people the people sent in. Hey, there is. This is radio. They, they don't know that. <laughs> Special effects. Um, so this is a mailbag full of questions that people, and of course, as a ministry, as a church, people email us uh, lots of different questions and some great ones. And, and we want to use this podcast to be able to, at times, just stop and uh, answer those questions, uh, whether they're theological or practical or whatever. And, uh, and so we're going to do that. We have... Um, a few questions in here from people, and uh, and hopefully they're questions that that probably you're asking in your life as well. Um, everything from uh, ideas about theology to uh, to even how our staff runs and how we don't burn them out and that kind of stuff. So, welcome, guys. Glad you're here. Good to be here. All right, let's jump into this. Um, the first question is: How do we really know that the Bible is God's word and not just what some people wrote? So, obviously. Um, Lots of skeptics uh, in our culture, in Canadian culture, they look at the Bible and they go, well, it's just another book. You have other first century books, Josephus and whatever else. We have lots of books, uh, C.S. Lewis, and lots of people write books. So how, what, what distinguishes, what's the difference? How do we actually know that the Bible uh, was inspired by God? Uh, because, of course, as Christians, we believe it's perfect. Uh, we believe everything it says is perfect. We believe it's historical. Uh, so what differentiates it from other books? Uh, what do we believe about that? Well, um, you know, there's there there has to be an angle, you know, for one that uh, you know the Holy Spirit like has to reveal this, you know, mm, yeah. to to the church, you know, over time, right. and that may be that may be difficult to hear, but but ultimately God has to declare, you know, what's authoritative, mm-hmm. and so that's why they would have historical councils to to determine like what books is this true right um the couple things is there has to be a consistency throughout you know scripture mm-hmm. it can't contradict itself right um also scripture is self-attesting so when it says when it references scripture and it says thus saith the lord yeah. you know it's saying okay well this is something that the lord um said right and so we have um you know we have we have that because there were, because there God. were, we we're talking about your first point about consistency. You know, I hear lots of people uh, say, you know, uh, we should include like the Gnostic Gospels or the Gospel of Thomas. You know, this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. What's so different about that than Mark or Matthew or Luke or whatever? And what people have to understand is um, one of the things is what you said, where there's there's actually contradictory theology in the Gospel of Thomas to yes. the other four Gospels. That uh, it talks about the fact that Jesus at one point, you know, it's funny. All these skeptics go, we should include the Gospel of Thomas. It's like, okay, have you? read the gospel of thomas a uh it's not a narrative it's just like the book of proverbs just random sayings of jesus with no context and no story but b a total contradictory uh theologies to the rest of certainly first century judaism but the rest of the gospels for instance jesus at one point says you know um uh, this woman has to become a man in order to enter the kingdom of god you know, it's a contradictory theology to everything he, he teaches. He also teaches very Gnostic ideas about flesh and spirit. Flesh is bad, the spirit's good, all these un-Jewish ideas. So I think what you're saying is uh, there has to be, consi- when these guys got together and selected what was going to end up in the Bible, yeah. there had to be a continuity. There couldn't be contradictory theology. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, and I, it, there's some challenges, you know, with that. I mean, I, one that comes to mind is like the book of Esther, right? It was really contentious yeah. because it didn't even include God. Right. It doesn't <laughs> mention know? God. Yeah. So, you know, there are some, there's some serious battles, you right. know, Martin Luther scripture. didn't like the book of James. Exactly. Right? Yeah. The right. straw of the new Testament. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. but I think we have to trust that God works through the wisdom of many, mm-hmm. um, through the discernment of many and the Holy Spirit in them right. to bring about consensus. Right. And man, to have this much consensus, like you don't have even oh, denominations. Crazy. Like think about all the denominational distinctives yep. and you don't have, you know, the Pentecostals and the Baptists like saying, oh, well, we don't like Matthew and oh, right. well, we don't like Revelation. Right. You know, there's yep. great consensus because of the consistency mm-hmm. and the self-attesting of scripture and what the spirit has revealed to us. 66 books written over the course of thousands of years and a, and a, and a beautiful continuity. Um, even in this, the, uh, archeology span that's done, you know, the, the comparing of an Isaiah text found 400 years ago to one fa- you know, that they're the same other than tiny little accents, you know, it's crazy. Uh, so yeah, Cliff, yeah, we can go even more like, you know, maybe the jaded person goes, I don't even trust the humanity, you know, all the people sure, that sure. have have uh, con- agreed with what history says. Uh, I'm I'm too jaded or I'm too much of a skeptic. I want to check for myself. And right. mm-hmm. you can even compare what the Bible says uh, with what we know uh, historically. Some of the prophetic um, examples in the Old Testament, even the, in, in specific, you know, about where Jesus will be born. Um, you know, how he'll be born or whatnot, that you can sit there and go, there are a bunch of other tests that we can do uh, to actually verify, if nothing else, the validity of the information. Right. And if you can agree with the validity of the information, the accuracy of the information, then you eventually have to go, well, then how was this comprised of? And you're going to have to, eventually, it's intelligent design. It, there, there's a God that has done that. And that's the, the difficult question for people is you can investigate all you want, but then you're going to have to do something with the conclusions that you draw from uh, your, your uh, work and your investigation. And that's going to be the hard thing. Once you ask this hard question, what are you going to do with your findings? Because what the Bible then says is give your life over to Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things about it, too, is the beautiful thing about uh, the Bible and uh, Judaism and Christianity is... Uh, you look at the kind of the world religions, and a lot of them are based on very uh, private experiences. Mm. Uh, I saw tablets. An angel came and spoke to me. I was in a cave uh, where Christianity is very public. Everything is a guy did ministry for three years. He healed people. He taught. Uh, he died under Pontius Pilate. We know that Josephus, who's not a Christian, says the same thing. There was this guy. He died under Pontius Pilate. There's a date. You know, this isn't mythology. He then appeared to, you know, 500 years. This beautiful public thing that can be, uh, even even the idea we talked about at Easter where you could prove Christianity wrong by finding the bones of Jesus. You can't prove Buddhism wrong. Uh, these are, these are they're, they're, it's too philosophical. It's too yeah. esoteric. Yeah. Uh, but Christianity is this beautiful public thing. And, and I think that the scriptures don't conjure. There has still, so far, through all this history, all the archaeology, there's never been something that an archaeologist found to go, oh, look, this disproves the Bible. Yeah, this you know? civilization it, didn't exist. Didn't exist yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the Bible are ahead of it. Yeah, right. But in all the scrutiny, like there's been an agenda, of course, uh, you know, to actually yeah, debunk the Bible. And so it's not even just random time. It's, 
active uh, yeah, yeah. efforts to, to debunk it, and it hasn't it yet. Hasn't, yeah. Could I recommend a, a resource? Yeah. Like when I w- was, um, you know, uh, investigating Christianity in college uh, really heavily, mm-hmm. um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict mm-hmm. by Josh McDowell, yeah, and it yeah. just uncovers the absolute reliability and consistency of Scripture throughout years yeah. because that in itself is a, a test yeah, to great. the quality a great resource. Okay, that's a similar topic before we completely shift gears into a couple more practical questions. Uh, How do you actually hear God speaking to you is a question that uh, came uh, in. We say it in our services and Christians say it all the time. I really felt God telling me this or that kind of, um, uh, I think there's probably two parts. There's a, a discernment part of this, but there's also like, what do we, what do we actually mean uh, and I'll give you uh, an example. I want to I want to uh, hear your answer on this. But I was sitting with my uh, daughter, my seven year old, uh, and we were reading Jesus Storybook Bible, and it was the Isaiah one. And uh, God comes and He speaks to Isaiah, and then Isaiah kind of writes it down and whatever. And she said, uh, "This is like a week ago." She said, "So how do I hear God speak to me then? If Isaiah got to hear God speak to him." why is God silent to me? Like, I can't see him. I can't hear him audibly. She didn't say the word audibly. Uh, so how how can I, so what do you guys say to that? I can tell you what I answered after, but yeah, what do you guys say? Yeah, that, that's so subjective because uh, I think a mistake, like with the Isaiah thing, when God is speaking, God doesn't speak like that to us anymore authoritatively. It's written down right. because it is establishing theology and doctrine and whatnot. And so we have to recognize that, number one, God does not speak to us the same way he spoke to uh, the people who were uh, authoring the Bible. Right. So, but there you is... mean in the sense that there's no, thus saith the Lord, anymore not, to specific individuals that can look into your life and say, God told me you are supposed to wear a red shirt tomorrow. It is 100%. This is authoritative. That is closed with the Bible. Like that? No. Like to tell me I'm going to wear a red shirt. But now for God to, God told me that this is happening about you. That happened to me. God has given me some words that are very specific uh, for people that I'm either bang on or I'm dead wrong. I, I, wasn't, I wouldn't have even been close. And I think you have to ask yourself questions going, if, if I feel God is telling me this, yeah. I have to actually critique it to find out is this from God or is this maybe my own agenda or some other influence and I think that's what Christians need to do more and more and those who hear a word from God we sometimes are well-meaning and we want to be respectful but sometimes people get things wrong yeah yeah I think we're we're super spiritual in our, our day we expect okay if we don't hear the audible voice of God then it's not real and it's like, oh, if you have just an impression or feeling, well, that's just coming from within yourself. And so there are two things on that for me. First of all, we have to reclaim as Christians that the way that God speaks to us today is through the word of God, yeah. that it has to be scripture, that there's not this necessarily this micromanaging of every aspect of our lives that God has to talk to you. If you don't hear that audibly, then you're not hearing the voice of God. God's saying that his word is sufficient, therefore... That's all we need to hear from God yeah. is in his word. And that's what I talked to Hayden about. That was my first thing is you can hear from him, but it's in the Bible. Yes. And so when we read scripture, whether it's Isaiah or Matthew or whatever, that is God speaking to us today. That's the authority that we have. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so go ahead. And Second I, point. I, so I find that through that, that the times I've never heard the audible voice of God. Maybe some people out there need to hear that's like, whoa, they're pastors haven't heard the audible voice of God, perhaps, you know? Um, and so for me, when God is <laughs> it's happening right now, it's happening. To everyone listening, on? yeah. It's breaking through the studio. Uh, when I'm reading scripture, I find that it's just providing wisdom and clarity to my life where there's just this affirming spirit sense where God is teaching me through what he's saying, through what he's revealing in the world uh, and through the word applied to my life. And so I think those generally tend to be for me in my subjective experience, how, how I hear the voice of God. It's such a great point because I think sometimes we're asking God to speak on matters that he's already spoken Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, for me, I'll sit there and, you know, uh, some, you know, some people will say, well, God really told me to date and marry this person, or God told mm-hmm. me, you know, to conduct myself a certain way. And I'm like, yeah, that's not consistent with the Bible. Right. And they sit there and they're holding on to, no, no, this is what I believe. And it, it's an it's a, it's a important discipline mm-hmm. to actually let the Bible yeah. be the first and foremost yeah. authoritative way. I'll, t- I'll tell you a, a great example is when I was considering moving here to Canada from New York and um, uh, I, I was praying about it. We had our first trip. I went back and one of the pastors shared a passage from Acts where uh, the church of Jerusalem sends away Paul and Barnabas. And one of the things that I was wrestling with is like, man, God's doing awesome things in New York. Why would I leave that? And, and, you know, one of the pastors said, you know, this is an example of, of God sends the best sometimes. Sometimes we don't always send people yeah, that we're training. Best in that yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm humble. No, yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, you know, totally. like, I, I guess I was the leader is, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, what yeah. I mean. And, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. in the case of Paul and Barnabas, it's like, they're, they're the best yeah. guys probably in yeah. the world to be leading your church. Yeah. And yet they get sent out from yeah. the church at Jerusalem. And that wasn't, it wasn't descriptive that it meant that, oh, I was supposed to do that. Right. But it showed an example in the heart of yeah. God that he sends leaders totally. away. Yeah. And so that's that good. was affirming to me and the spirit spoke to me in that sense, affirming that I should go. Yeah, that's good. So then um, let, me, let me push back from a more charismatic side because those are good Baptist answers that we have. Uh, <laughs> read the Bible and stop eating bad pizza. Uh, but are you guys saying that there isn't a sense that we can still get impressions or have those whispers, have the Holy Spirit speak to us in in very specific circumstances? No, I'm not, saying, position? not saying that at all. Right. Uh, God does. Um, and the irony is... Uh, a good Baptist answer, the fact that my background is charismatic. I've had a lot of experience in this, and I've just learned to critically... Last time we talked about that lady who came up and said you're going to die in a car accident. Yeah, yeah. and that's why I think we just need to be more critical. So when God does give these impressions, I will always ask myself certain questions. Will this actually help the person grow in their understanding of who they are in Christ? Is whatever I'm about to say consistent? Does it mirror biblical principles and different things like that? Uh, Is this something that's going to help them just in life, or is there something self-serving for me? And and I remember once I had a, do you want to really crazy story. Uh, I was running a youth group and I had this crazy impression um, with this one girl. And I said, hey, you and your boyfriend are, are here and you're going to take back your baby. Mm-hmm. 
like I'm either bang on or I'm totally off. You know, the, obviously the backstory is she had a baby. She gave it up for adoption mm-hmm. uh, and her uh, and her boyfriend were gonna actually take the baby back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she looked at me shocked and she goes, how did you know? And so I just began to talk. And that was one of the most difficult ones for me because how do you test that with scripture? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. So, so, I, so, so, so they what? They, they were going to take back the baby mm-hmm. from the people that they'd yes. given it to? Yes. And w- were you saying you shouldn't do that? Of course. That's, you were yes. saying you've blessed do, that family. Yes. Do not do not Do, do not this. take the baby back. But this is your intention. I believe right. the Lord revealed that to me. Okay, interesting. And I, I verified that. She goes, that's exactly what we were going to do. And I was and you able didn't know to, anything about them at oh, all. No, you not were just at given all. this. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And uh, I think sometimes when we're talking about some of these more explicit, you know, charismatic type, like, man, God just told me to do this, like, right in this, in this moment, uh, sometimes that can be along the lines of the gifting of, of prophecy. Sure. So, uh, you know, like, I haven't experienced much of that in my life but I really trust and know people that this happens to a lot more. Mm. God speaks to them. And so we can't, we can't feel the pressure. I think the question kind of comes from a place that I don't hear that. Right. And you know, I just want to affirm that person that that's okay. But certainly the people that do, it's like, are you saying that I'm not hearing that? No. We're saying very possibly you could have that gift and God speaking. But even then, it's you still have to validate it with the scriptures. Yeah, totally, totally. And so, yeah, so all those mystics, you're not writing off all the mystics, the cloud of unknowing, the peop- the desert fathers hanging out, no. hearing from God. You're no, not no. writing it off. But if they come back and say, God called me to leave my wife and go marry four other women, yeah, you're going. You yeah. know it's bogus. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, is it okay to take communion even though I feel like I have doubts and I'm not totally strong in my faith? You guys think about that? That's a... One of the things we tend to do is uh, we enter into certain Christian disciplines um, based on how good we feel about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in the center of that equation. Right. And what does the Bible tell us? Actually, that Jesus is the center. And so, yes, I think it is okay for you to take communion, even if you don't feel good about yourself. Because the whole point of communion is we feel very good about Jesus and what Jesus has done on the cross. And right. that's what we're actually celebrating, not how good we feel about ourselves, but what Christ has done. Right. So I actually encourage people to do it. But what about, what about, there's clearly passages in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians, uh, that, that says this is a very weighty mm. experience. And Paul even alludes to this idea that people are getting sick because they're doing it in, an, or dying. <laughs> it's yeah. a crazy passage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because they're doing it in an unruly manner. Of course, there's a historic thing. They're all eating communion and sleeping and having orgies and whatever. But um, there's this sense where there's this, they're doing it in an, an unsacred way, or maybe they're, it seems to elude. I could see people reading it and going, man, my righteousness I, and how I'm walking with Jesus right now is connected to my worthiness to partake at some level, don't you think? Yeah, I I think it's at the level that by the time we're actually partaking of the elements, Mm -hmm. we are to have prepared our hearts for communion and actually dealt with our sin. So in my mind, if this person is struggling with doubts um, and they know that they're struggling, that they... They need to be confessing those doubts. They need to be confessing those struggles 
and uh, bringing that to the cross, allowing Jesus to to wash that with his blood, to be forgiven, and then to take it. doesn't mean that the doubts go away. It just right. means that you're confessing it. To not confess it, I think in that case, would be taking it in you, an unworthy manner. Yeah, do you, think, um, do you think there's a time, even if I'm a Christian? So obviously, if you're not a Christian, it's pretty clear the scriptures are saying don't partake. Yes. But if you are a Christian, is there ever a time where you're, you're, you're in a season of life where you might be involved in habitual sin? Or something where you don't partake. Yes, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, because there can be. A, I think sometimes the pattern is uh, you're just you take forgiveness like for granted, right. and mm-hmm. you're like sin. Oh, God, forgive me. Sin, God, forgive me. Right. Sin, God, forgive me. And then there's kind of this point where Cheap you got to, yeah, 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 you just got to realize like, am I allowing the grace of God to transform me? The grace is right. still there. We yeah. don't want to say yeah, that the yeah, grace yeah. isn't there, yeah. but am I allowing it to transform me? Maybe right. need to take a step back right. and realize I haven't really now focused I, in on the cross. Right, now I turn this a bit into righteousness, but their focus was doubt and a lack of faith. So um, talk about that communion in regard to uh maybe i have doubts maybe i'm 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 a christian but i'm wondering if this is all true i'm not sure how deep my actual faith goes is it okay to partake then that's a tricky question because i i think in scripture uh there's often this tension, like, you know, the father, uh, there's his dad who says to Jesus, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Right. And there's this tension that we live in that I believe God is being gracious. Mm-hmm. And so if you're sitting there going, I believe that Jesus, uh, what, what he did on the cross, you know, actually right. allowed me to have forgiveness uh, before God the Father, um, and then you're still working that out, yeah. yes, do it. If you're questioning, is God there? Is Jesus God? Mm-hmm. Is what he did, in fact, uh, going to transform me, then you maybe want to hit the pause button, get that sorted out before you hit the communion table. Okay, sure. All right. Yeah, um, man, I think, yeah, the nice thing is you have an example in the apostle, right, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have mm-hmm. an example, I think, in plenty of of Christian leaders, like giants like Spurgeon, right, struggled mm-hmm. with his faith. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reformers, right? I'm trying to remember. Was it like Luther that struggled? I'm trying to remember. He had a bunch but, of struggles. Yeah, he had a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the thing is, is that it's not new. Some people think they're struggling with their faith. They have their, their doubts. Augustine. And that's, yeah. You know, there's massive sexual craziness in his life and working through all that yeah totally this is not this is not new you're not unique where you are and it's just like anything else where jesus has has paid for that brokenness in the world and in your life that brokenness that crisis of faith he's paid for that yeah he's the one who gives faith and grace so we have to recognize that our belief comes from god Mm -hmm. first and foremost and so we can't feel this pressure that it has to originate in us but we just have to say god give me more faith and I think, yeah, it's good. And, and, and doubts aren't a bad thing because doubts, doubts say that I'm not necessarily just believing in everything. It's, yes. it's, it's, I doubt because I'm not just going to believe what anybody tells me. I'm trying to be critical. I'm trying to be exclusive in what I believe about things. So uh, it's not a bad thing to doubt and to wrestle because, as we said earlier, um, God knows that, hey, I'm not a physical being that's hanging around. So you are constantly going to have doubts right. and struggles, and that's just part of Christian faith. Okay, uh, why do we, next, uh, next question, why do we make baptism a big deal? Will I go to hell if I'm not baptized? No. 
you will not go to hell if you're not baptized. Okay. Uh, might as well just get that one out. Right. <laughs> uh, however, uh, of course, a lot of then, people point out the you know guy on the cross didn't get baptized, exactly. and Jesus says you'll yeah. be with me in paradise, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, the big issue with baptism is why are you not getting baptized? Right. Like if this is, if you love Jesus, you've accepted his grace. Yeah. And he says that baptism is this symbol, this proclamation yeah. of what he is doing in the world, yeah. this, this dying to self and being raised to life. Why would you not use the very thing that Jesus wants us to mm-hmm. proclaim mm-hmm. the good news with? Mm-hmm. Why would you not participate in that? Mm-hmm. It just, it doesn't even make sense to me. Right. Uh, you know, to to not just be obedient. But if right. you're disobedient in any aspect of life, including baptism, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't exempt you from the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough because we want sometimes to be private with things. And what we talked at the top of the broadcast was, you know, the idea of the Christian faith is meant to be public. And so in our church, we do it very public in that it's on a beach. Uh, and hundreds of people are around. And it's, it's one of my favorite things that I get to be a part of because just the people passing by, well, what's going on? Is this a protest of some kind? Right. And the opportunity for these passerbys to just tangibly see the evidence of this gospel message yeah. uh, is profound. And and I think we're doing a disservice uh, to what Christ did and even allowing ourselves to have these great experiences if we're always trying to hide it, to hide it and to minimize it. And here what, what, what's being told with baptism is leverage it, maximize it. Yeah. Let me let me let me um, piggyback on that because I think um, I think we oftentimes let me go one step deeper with it um, because oftentimes we talk about baptism as if it is a it's a symbol it's public declaration it's that kind of stuff I want to go one step further and talk about something that we don't often talk about in in uh, you know Protestant Baptist circles or something that I actually think that there's something spiritual that takes place in a person's life during baptism. Um, and what I mean is, of course, it's a symbol, um, but uh, sometimes we, we lessen it when we just call it that. Same with communion, mm, right? It's yeah. just a symbol. Don't worry. It's just a symbol. It's like, well, then what is it if it's just a symbol? Symbols are very powerful things. And Paul in Ephesians or uh, Romans 6 says this, a very interesting passage, 6, uh, 4, or three, four, five. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then he goes on, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him and so on and so forth. I think something spiritual takes place in, in somebody's baptism. I am not convinced that it is uh, just a symbol. I think there's, oh, there's, totally a, there's a raising of life. There's something. I'm, no, I'm not saying you see God under the water or you know, the, the water is somehow magical. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I, can, I know it's more, than, it's more than a stake. It's part of, and I don't know if I'm heretical on this or where I fit in the, in the Protestant spectrum here, but I think it's part of sanctification. 
Absolutely. It's, it's, something's going on there. Well, you'd be at home with, uh, you know, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, right. like in any, and a lot of the, the deeply reformed movement and historical Christianity, which puts in the sacrament, you know, yeah. category right. where right. it's a means of grace, right. that there's an actual experience and an imparting of grace from Jesus. Not, uh, I don't mean like that saving ultimate no. grace, no, no. but I mean this continually pouring out of grace on our yeah. lives where we experience Jesus yeah. actually washing us clean. Yeah. We experience that in a deeper, more profound way. Which when is why, yeah, which is why people, you know, Satan historically attacks people, even at village, story mm. after story of people either building up to their baptism or after their baptism, the temptation and the the tearing down and the in the the life falling apart, you know, mm. there's there's a cost to this. Yeah. And I and I really think it's part of sanctification. So in that sense. You know, if you're getting uh, more of him, yeah. then back to your point, why why wouldn't you? Yeah. What, what's holding you back if you really love and you want to know right. and get the most of God that you can possibly get? Yeah. Um, and this is a piece of that. Why wouldn't you want it? So, okay. Um, here's another question. Shifting gears. Um, we are about to uh, launch a Langley site. Maybe when you're listening to this, we'll have already launched it. Um, and we're doing it in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, for a lot of churches in the U.S., this is pretty normal. It's kind of, you know, normal fare. It's a building. It's built like a church, and they meet on Saturday. What a perfect setup. You know, it's a rental for a Sunday for a church. Thousands and thousands of churches do it. Uh, but in Canada, probably less so. Um, and so people, uh, rightfully so, have questions about it. Uh, they don't know what Seventh-day Adventist necessarily is or believes. And so they ask, you know, is it right? Uh, the question is, is it uh, wrong to rent a facility from a Seventh-day Adventist church? Because, of course, we're doing that very soon as a church. So how would you guys answer that question? I think uh, if you're renting facilities, it's it's probably a, a difficult question to answer. So for us, we we rent uh, one of our sites is at a school and to somehow public suggest, public yeah, high public school, high school right. and to suggest that we uh, agree with everything that's happening in that public high school. Well, that's not the case. So is that going to exempt us? Right. No, it's right. a rental. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's an opportunity for us to gather. Right. And we have to look at this as just, this is an opportunity for us to gather versus, uh, we're aligning ourselves with whomever the landlord has to be, and if it's the public schools or right. whatever else. Right, and their entire doctrinal statement. Sure, totally, and, yeah. Whether we have to fully agree with that in order to rent uh, uh, kind of brick and mortar uh, to gather our people, uh, we're already not doing that. Well, and yeah. when you look even uh, in there, um, strewn throughout the school are all kinds of things that are very contrary to the Christian faith. Right, right. Yet we're somehow okay right. with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and this I, is far closer. I mean, this is this ain't even close to that. This is a godly right. people, exactly, yeah. who love Jesus, who are on mission, uh, and they're sincerely, uh, they're different than us theologically, certainly uh, on certain things. Um, on uh, you know, but but nothing that uh, would would exclude them from looking at them as saying these are Christian brothers and sisters. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to look at the core distinctives of what it means to be a Christian. And, you know, we've talked about the word of God. Do you believe that it right. is inerrant yeah. without right. error? Yeah. And, um, and this is the voice of God speaking to us. You yeah. know, do you believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit? Do you believe Jesus lived a life on this earth 
um, that was pleasing to the Father, died a death on our behalf, rose from dead victorious over Satan's sin and death, uh, and he's coming back again, right? They believe these yep. core principles. Right. Yep. They are brothers and sisters. And so sometimes denominations are are barely different. Sometimes yep. they have, you know, some big differences, like they worship on the Sabbath, you know, uh, yep. and practice uh, that on Saturday, and we do Sunday, and there's yep. reasons for that. And, and, and rightfully okay. so, um, uh, there are a spectrum of Seventh Day Adventists as well, yeah. and there are there's extreme um, on the spectrum that we probably wouldn't necessarily look at and go, oh yeah, this is exactly what we believe. Um, and but that's not the the space we're renting. Right. Uh, these guys, we have a relationship with them. Uh, I've been out with the lead pastor multiple times. A great. Uh, great guy, great staff, people who are on mission. They've come to Village multiple times. They want us to help them reach people for Jesus, whatever we can do to help them. So um, real hard for God, these these people. And so, yeah, we, we probably are discerning enough to not just go, hey, we'll just rent anything, especially if it's a religious, if there's any kind of religious thing, we want to be sensitive mm-hmm. to it. We probably wouldn't go in and rent a Sikh temple just because it's brick and mortar. Um, and so we then did look in and say, on the spectrum, this is an evangelical group of people who want to reach people for Jesus and share our theology, except for some of these non-essential uh, theological points. So, yes. yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, one more. Why does God uh, correct Christian? Why doesn't God correct Christian leaders when they get out of line? He seems to keep blessing them. What is our role? And then it's the second piece of this. Uh, what is our role in correcting bad theological teaching? So the first one is, hey, there's all these ministers. They got their private jets. They're sleeping with whomever they want to sleep with. They're all over the map. Their theology is a disaster, and yet they seem to profit. They seem to have big ministries, big buildings, nice suits. What's the deal? I mean, for me, this is David in the Psalms going, Wah! what's yeah. going on here? Why are all the bad dudes winning and all the righteous dudes losing? You know, you, you know, we got to, uh, this is, this is classic. We have this temporal like yes, worldview. Right. We're so, success. we're so isolated that we're yeah. like, oh, somebody's blessed in this right. life. Might of, be a curse. We have 70 years. Yeah. yeah. It might be a curse. I mean, yeah. the way Jesus talks about riches, like that's, yeah. they can curse <laughs> you. You better be careful if you want yeah. to get into mo riches. money, mo problems. That's how the <laughs> message interprets <laughs> Jesus. But, uh, but the thing is, is scripture says that people who preach the word will be held doubly accountable for what they say. So they'll be doubly rewarded. That might, that might be in the end and not in this life too. Exactly. Yeah, and so like, we oh, have yeah. to trust in, in Christ, the judge, and who, who knows what is right and everything will be accounted for before him. And I think that's important because I think when some people say blessed, they don't even mean financial. They go, why does my 30-year-old faithful friend die of cancer <clears throat> and these guys are living till 80? It's, it's, a, it's Ecclesiastes. Yeah. It's... Mm-hmm. This stuff's going to wash out in the end, but it ain't going to wash out in this life. We're, we're allowed yeah. to lament yeah. that. Yeah. Like, that's okay. That's the tension. We're not, yeah. we're not right. saying, like, ignore that. No. And don't let it seek drive justice. You. Let it drive you crazy. Exactly. Let it, let it drive you to the temple and throw tables over. Let it do that kind of stuff. But Ecclesiastes says it's not going to, you know, it won't wash out in this life probably. Yeah, sadly. I've actually had a lot of experience with this that people – 
even family members have have done this and they have sinned they have fallen mm-hmm. marriages are broken i even know one one of the guys is in prison right now mm-hmm. for this and so i think sometimes we also got to be careful because what, someone in who is in ministry yeah. and just yeah and yeah. very very close to me right. yeah. uh and so i've seen this a lot and to sit there and for the uh person on the outside looking in i don't know that they even have a clear example of that one guy who i worked with um was screwing around, messing up and everything, uh, is divorced, got remarried and is at another church now doing his thing, you know, some small little church in America. And you sit there and you're like, that's not blessed. That, that's that's not blessed. Right. Uh, he's estranged from his family and whatnot. And right. and so I think we got to also be careful. What does justice look like? Mm-hmm. Because I don't know that our metric of justice is correct. Yeah. Can I also say that let's not put it past God to still work through sinners, right? Yeah, yeah we, totally. There's leaders that are yeah, that, that teach all kinds of things, but God, yeah, I mean, a, per, a personal example of this. So, like, there, you know, there's a, a a prosperity teacher that's that's pretty well known on the television networks, and I probably would not subscribe to that or recommend that anybody watch that. And there's some teachings that I would be um, leery of, but uh, but man, my father-in-law became a believer, accepted the grace of Jesus Christ watching that television show. That blows up our paradigms, yeah. right? And so we got to trust that it's like maybe people are having genuine spiritual conversions and growth even when it's laced with some bad teaching. God can do what he wants. Yeah, yeah I think it's a good point. And I think um, if you put ourselves on this spectrum, I mean, Jesus warned us against a kind of pharisaical mindset that has any minister or any religious person look at another one and say they're not as righteous as me jesus constantly went dude you're, that's when you're actually in the worst you know spiritual state when you start looking at these people and say yeah why is god blessing them where you should be kind of beating your chest and have your head down and say man the fact that i got any group the fact that i woke up this morning mm. is all i actually deserve so jesus constantly said why are you looking at these people mm. and actually saying because you, um, Eric Damewood and Cliff Ursel, you have uh, sin in your life just as much as that guy that you'd be leery of, but it might be more hidden, but God's using you and God's using me. When I get up and preach, the thoughts that go through my mind before I get up and preach on a Sunday, it's like, what, why are you even using me? This is a, I'm a disaster. Uh, you know, why would I ever be used to do anything? I know who I am in the dark. Um, so I think it's a good point, Eric. Just reflecting on our own, it might not be as public, yeah. but is is the amount of it any less? I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is. And yet he uses you. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. So I we think st- Jesus told a lot of parables getting us to go, the mathematics of grace are right. completely yeah. upside and down. The, and that's the tension is like, it's like we need to be focused on the logs in our own eye. Yeah. Uh, yet we still need to preach truth. Yeah. We still need to seek it. We still and need to have things. We need to be discerning. Yep. We need to, yeah, the Bereans, right? Yeah, so, and that's, know, they're that's praised why, for investigating. Yeah. And all. that's what? why the second half of this, what is our role in correcting bad theological teaching? I think um, Paul does say that it's the role of an elder to protect the sheep, that it's the role mm-hmm. of the elder to teach good doctrine and refute bad doctrine. 
Um, so all of that's on the table. It's just not, it's it's dealing with the ideas. Okay, this is my this is my. I could be actually completely wrong on this, but because it just came to me, uh, uh, <laughs> we're more okay. I won't say exclusively. I'll say we need to be more focused on the bad ideas versus the bad versus the people teaching those ideas. Yeah. And Agreed. so I think in the first century, Paul did call out people. So I'm not saying that it's never you can never name a name. Yeah, I'm just saying it doesn't seem to be the focus. You need to focus on the theological inaccuracies of the ideas, but not keep naming people that are attached to those ideas. And then teach your people good theology so that they can discern bad theology when they turn on the TV and they see it or yeah. whatever. I think one right? of the things is what are you trying to accomplish? Um, yeah. Like with the idea with uh, bad theology in the context of an elder doing that, it's, right. it's to care for the people that they have yeah. an influence over. Yeah. That that God God has given them that, and so for a guy to just sit and you know shout from the rooftops random you know periodicals right. and opinions, I don't know that that's actually presented in a way that's going to have a helpful effect. Yeah. And so I Those think guys who live on this, they blog every wow. day, yeah, and it's yeah. not like they're they're pastor elders over all of the people reading their blogs. They might be local church pastors, but they they cut their teeth on protecting the church. But, yeah, you know, and it's, but it's done with. And, and it's are done, we supposed it, to? I don't know. It's okay. done with. I, I feel with vindictiveness. Uh, often, where, yeah, there's where, a lot of humility. Where when I'm when I'm dealing with someone in the church with bad doctrine, I'm doing it for love, uh, out of concern yeah. for them as a person, right. not to vilify another right. person, but rather to build up the person that God's put in my charge. Yeah. There's yeah. this there's this attitude almost where it feels like again maybe I'm judging these people now so this, <laughs> yeah now we're judging this is, the judges. now we're judging the judges but um, I mean I guess uh, let me just point out maybe a general tone that I right. perceive is to be um, a little bit arrogant that we're right instead of compassion for protecting the sheep right. because I think yep. there is a point where there are, wolves, there, yep. are wolves, there are wolves and we have to say look out this yep. is this is a wolf but it's always from you know, our, our back to the sheep, pointed out, at, yep. at, you know, and trying to say, hey, we want to protect and just guard yep. the purity here. Yeah, yep. that's good. Okay, guys, thank you, Cliff. Thank you, Eric, for joining us. Hopefully this podcast show has been helpful to you as we open the mailbag and answer a bunch of your questions. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Village Talks. You can find out more about Village Church, including ways to support the ministry, at thisisvillagechurch.com.